Thank you all for coming and for being here today. Uh, this side always fills up in the second service. First service, for some reason, I can't talk them into sitting over there in those chairs. I have no idea why. But uh, there's usually like six people over there, the Butler family and a couple other people. But uh, it's so beautiful out there. Look at that thing. Isn't that crazy? So nice. There were people in the first service that came and they were taking pictures out the window. You know, I was like, okay, that gives you some idea. Thanks for coming. Jim is uh, allegedly coming back. You only have to put up with me a couple more weeks. He'll be back. He, he will, you know, he can't stay away forever. But he's having a great time. Somebody told me they saw a picture pasted or posted. Is it pasted or posted? Help me out, posted. And that's how old I am. And it would be pasted back in my day, I'm just saying. But uh, on some, you know, uh, posting thing. <laughs> What is that? Uh, yeah, a social media platform. Anyways, with him, you know, holding up a book, and because he's in Cambridge studying in England, I mean, how cool is that? The real Cambridge, not the secondary Cambridge, but the first Cambridge. So keep praying for him. He'll be back in the, I don't know, middle of June sometime, and we'll be glad to see him. But in the meantime, there's a couple things I want you to be aware of. So you notice these kind of banners out here, and I just want you to, uh, you know, stay aware. How many of you know what FOMO is? <laughs> After my last debacle, <laughs> Lindsay, my sister-in-law, is saying, well, this guy has no idea. FOMO is fear of missing out. Okay, that's what that means. We don't want you to miss the retreat in September. Please don't make it the fifth thing on your thing, uh, list of things to do. Definitely be there. It'll be a great weekend. We have a wonderful time together. More than music, uh, one of our spectacular groups that comes up in the summer. They'll be here to lead us in, in music, and there's a great speakers. It's just going to be an awesome time together. You get to sit with and learn from people from all over our church that you don't know. So please put that on your calendar. We don't want you to miss it. And second of all, uh, let's see, put up that uh, picture of the grads, if you will. We'll do that next. It's down in there. Yeah, see, congratulations. You see what I did there? Yeah, okay. Uh, Nathan Berry, Andy and Trish, and then Amber Walsh, Ron and Leah's kid. Anybody else? Uh, oh, and see, I, I asked about you. And actually, Stefan talked me out of putting Chris Rolf on there. Chris, stand up. Let's give him a big hand. In my defense, in my defense, isn't it a little complicated? Yeah, okay, I thought so. He's like halfway through college as well already by this time, so it's a little complicated. But all of our uh, Summit High School were very proud of. We also had a number of college grads, and of course those parents are way happier because that's a lot more money. Yeah, whoop, whoop. Yeah, you had one go. Yeah, we're one down, one to go. But uh, also, let's watch this little video, see if we can get that to show this time. Minute are 17. Are you ready Yay. to roar? on an African adventure that engages the whole herd. That'll be fun. Create a stampede of fun at Sing and Play Roar. It's going to be a mess. Bring the Bible to life in wild Bible adventures. Experience jaw-dropping discoveries at Imagination Station. Run wild with high-energy activities at Stampede Sports. 
life is like for five amazing kids who live in Africa at Kid Vid Cinema. Get ready to let the good times roar! Trusting you, God, you are good. Israel Houghton, they've got some high-level people doing the music this year. So this is VBS in a couple of weeks in here, the 10th through the 15th. It'll be, there's 17,000 children in this room if you ever walk in here in the morning. This is where the opening and the closing happens and they move around in little crews, they call them little groups with crew leaders. It's a spectacular time. In your bulletin, there's an insert for you to maybe contribute in some way. If you can even give a day of help, if you can give something else. The color of that piece of paper has been hotly debated in the morning, but I've heard everything from tangerine to just plain old orange. But nonetheless, if you'd like to be helpful in the VBS process, you can fill that out. Or if you need to go in and uh, maybe register your kiddo or your neighbor's kids, what have you, there's a, it's online on our website. So that'll be a couple of weeks, and we're kind of doing the big kickoff. That's why all those decorations are out there, and that's not our new decoration theme. Just so you know, but it's, it's African, and it'll be a great time. Um, I want to just continue in this series. You're going to wonder about this rock, but I'm going to tell you in a minute. We've been talking about worship and what in the world that means, what impact that can possibly have. This rock sits in my office. Um, I've got a stack of these. Like, If you want to learn about me, go in underneath my window in my office, and there's a stack of these. I consider them milestones. They're critical moments, crucial junctures in my life that have had a difference and, and left some lasting impact in my life. This one says worship, and then it says Benny, B-E-N-Y, and the drum. Uh, Bethany Burnett when she was growing up in the youth group here, spelled her, shortened her name to Benny, B-E-N-Y, and used to play that drum. She is so much better at playing that drum than me, you can't even imagine. It was so fun to watch her because she was so engaged. And not only did she beat the thing, like I had to fix, replace parts when she was done with it, but she had this look on her face like, man, this is the best time I've ever had in my life. And I just remember being so encouraged by someone who had that kind of spirit in worship, being like moved by that sometimes. I'd turn around and I'd see her and I'd start crying. Other times I'd turn around and I'd laugh so hard if I had a 10-gallon pail of grin remover, you couldn't get the smile off my face, right? It was because it was like this whole series of, of reactions to watching somebody truly worship God in spirit. It's a big deal. We have been studying in this series, trying to base our thinking on what I believe to be probably the single most helpful area in the New Testament, which is in John 4, when Jesus walks up to the woman at the well and describes to her the kind of worshipers that the Father is seeking are worshipers who worship in two things. What's number one? Spirit, and the other is truth. It's both and. Those words in the Greek are hooked together. It's not one or the other. It's not a preference. Do you prefer to worship God in truth with your mind, or do you prefer to worship God in your spirit and your heart? It's both and the same time hooked together in a tensional system that is always working like this. It never comes to a conclusion. 
Both of those things. Then we looked a couple of weeks ago at the fact that Paul, uh, just last week actually, that Paul does, does this amazing thing in Romans 6 through 8 where he gives this astounding theology on the cross. And then he comes to this amazing thing at the end, life in the spirit. Oh gosh, what happens to us happens because God has sovereignty, but our, our choices engage in this whole thing. And then he says, what shall we say to this? And it's the beautiful worship passage at the end of chapter eight. It results, good theology results in great worship. It's not the other way around. Don't just go for the experience and to feel good with no foundation underneath it. That is half by, it is right only halfway. It's right by half. To either experience worship in truth or in truth or in, in spirit, but not have them both together. So this week we're going to kind of look a little bit more. Man, I wish I could spend six months on the whole idea of worshiping in the spirit. We can't, but... The ideas are, are there for us to look at. And to say a big part of this is not just that we worship as a singularity, but also worship in concert with each other. Sam Hull, come on up here. Give him a big hand. Sam Hull, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Sam uh, contacted me last week after the sermon and said, Hey, I'd like to talk about some of those things you were talking about. And so we sat down and talked, and I realized, man... You're a wealth of knowledge. He's a, uh, just finished his sophomore year at UNC up in Greeley, and I mean that seriously, because what I found out was, man, Sam is really getting what's going on here. So then I asked him, Sam, can we sit down? I want to ask you some questions about some things. And it was so insightful and so helpful that I actually asked him to come and to share with you today, the congregation, what he is learning in here. So I'm going to ask him a few of the questions that kind of uh, brought that to be and let him tell you some of this. So Sam, we're going to start with the idea of solo engagement in music and tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, I'm studying music in college. Um, oh, I didn't say that. Yeah, you didn't I? say that. No, no, I should have said that. That would have been helpful. A lot of people might be confused. Yeah, I'm very confused. Like, Obviously, I'm, I'm confused. So yeah, <laughs> keep going. Um, and yeah, um, Talk about practicing, um, I think, is one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in the last two years is how to practice the best way. Not necessarily the best way, but the most efficient, or at least striving for that. Um, I spend probably between three and four hours um, practicing the trombone a day in the heat of the semester, in the summer. Every kinda, day, three to four hours. It dwindles in the summer because, you know. It's the summer. It's the summer. But <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, it seems like a long time, but um, when you get down to it and you start to think about the things that you need to work on to make your playing better, you, you feel like you have a lot to do in a very little amount of time. So you have to be kind of strategic about how you spend your time doing that. Um, I keep a very detailed practice journal um, that I kind of go through and assess what I need to work on. Um, and how I'm going to get there, and then kind of reflect afterwards how that worked. And uh, tell me what's rewarding then, because that sounds like just a lot of hard work to me. What's rewarding about practice? Um, I mean, a lot of times, you know, the practice, the 
you, you don't want to go into a lesson unprepared and just get torn apart by your lesson teacher, obviously. But um, <laughs> there, there's something rewarding about music in general and, and not necessarily just music, but developing any kind of skill. Mm. Um, the amount of work that you put into it, um, seeing the results of that is, mm. is always rewarding for sure. Mm. Now, have you ever felt like you completely failed at or wasted a, a rehearsal time? Oh, yes, all the time. And I can blame this guy right here for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, the old cell phone. Yeah, there's a lot of really good technology out, you know, in these little screens that can help me in my development um, as a musician. But there's also a lot of really big distractions. So I try and turn it off or, like, put it on airplane mode when I'm practicing so that I don't... You know, oh, I got a Snapchat. And then 20, <laughs> 20 minutes later, oh, I should be practicing. <laughs> well, you felt me with one of the things I was hoping we could glean, which is it takes work to develop skill. You know the 10,000-hour principle. Sam didn't invent that. You know that. I have people come to me all the time and say, I just don't get anything out of worship. It's not that meaningful to me. It's just not that good. Maybe you need to invest in it. It's not designed to be something that you just fall out of bed and it just squeaks out of you, and that was a great experience. It's actually designed to be something that is developed. You hear all of that work, and that has produced what is a very rewarding time. Sam told me later, I would lo love to practice 12 hours a day. That sounds horrible to me, but Sam has developed that passion and that desire. Now, Let's talk about, let's switch gears from solo to group. Tell me a little bit about playing together in a band or an orchestra. Yeah. So I recently heard a talk um, from a guy named Brett Mitchell. He's the musical director for the Colorado Symphony. Um, and he was talking about how he ended up where he was today. And the, the, one of the biggest pivotal points was when he was in college. He was studying to be a concert pianist. Um, really good piano player. He still is. Um, but he realized, you know, with the piano, you can practice 12 hours a day. And it's obvious that they do it because I think piano players are really good musicians. But, you know, he realized I spend all this time practicing alone. And then when it comes to the concert, I'm performing alone also. Mm. And he felt like there was something missing. Um, mm. And so he started checking out new things. And he ended up taking up because there's something about playing in a group that gives you more um, than just being alone. Do you prefer to play solo or in a group? When I asked him that question the first time, there was a long pause. And then he said... <laughs> Definitely playing in a group, um, for sure. I mean, it just offers more musical variety um, and there's something you know there's a lot of things that go unsaid between musicians that just happen that I think is really cool um, it's a really powerful communal thing um, when these people put in all this work behind the scenes and then you come together and like all this crazy harmony happens and it's yeah. like yeah, it's, it's really like cool. the full expression of what the conductor meant, right? You told me about how after you've worked on a piece together as a band or orchestra, what your conductor will do that sounds a little counterintuitive to me. Tell these guys. Yeah, um, yeah, our director would do this really cool thing. 
um, where he would he would not conduct us. He would just say, "Just go ahead and start the piece." Um, and when you think about that, that's like, how are you going to get sixty people in this orchestra to just be together without any sort of direction at all? Um, but it happens um, because these musicians that are in this group have put in so much work into their craft and they understand you know the ins and outs of what needs to happen to make a good sound and what needs to happen to stay together as a group um and so i thought a lot about why that worked um and i think it, it you're able to start together when you breathe together um because there's this common Almost, if you look across the band, when, when a piece of music starts, you kind of even see a little bit of a lift. Um, next time you see a musical group, you might notice that. Um, but there's this common exhale, this common breathing that starts the music. Now, and, as a pastor, talking about the Spirit of God, what do you think I hear there? The commonality of breath. I mean, that's literally the word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit was breath, air. And Sam says the way we can figure out how to do this without anybody conducting us at all, telling us when to start, when to stop, is we follow each other's common breathing pattern. What a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be, worshiping together in the Spirit. Sam, talk to us about one other thing. I asked you because you, we were interplaying about some of the ideas of beauty and the whole idea of art and music and, and so forth. And you said, at some levels, I'm, you know, I've, I'm not sure that the naturalistic story I've gotten actually fits with beauty. Talk to yeah. us a little bit. So I think that this beauty thing that we see in art is kind of, Tim Keller would probably call it a evidence for God or something. But, mm-hmm. um, and I've thought a lot about this since our last conversation. Um, there's two sides to a musical performance. There's the performer and there's also the person that's hearing the music also um and i think you can get a lot from the performance aspect in this because any form of art is kind of a medium of expression um you know people go into art because they have something to say there's like this sort of longing that they need to get out um and they're directed with you know whatever discipline they take in take up with their art um and i think it's really a beautiful thing when that gets directed towards worship um, mm. for sure because it's like this longing is being fulfilled in such a great way um but then there's the person who's beholding the art who's seeing this or experiencing it and hearing it um and when you look when you gaze at a piece of art or you you get moved emotionally by a piece of music or even if you look at a beautiful landscape there's there's something that happens that doesn't make sense in any kind of... You can't explain it away with some biological function. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even scientists agree with this. Like, you talk about Maslow's hierarchy of the yeah. needs. Like, mm-hmm. this, you would probably put, like, experiencing art is, like, one of the last things you need to survive. Um, right. <laughs> but, um, it's great. Yeah. Well, you can tell how smart Sam has become as he's gone to college. And also, what he's pointing out is it's just so true. I think this often. The elk are out there. They're looking at the same mountain range. They're not moved by it. It doesn't affect them, right? 
it affects us. Give Sam a big hand. Thank you, Sam. You're awesome. (laughs) I thought he would do a better job than I at sharing some of those things. And I hope you're catching those analogies. So the movement, the effects, it's a big deal. And that's the movement of the Spirit. If you have a personal, as, as another pastor likes to say, turn in your personal electronic devices to Colossians chapter 3. Or there's, page, there's books underneath the chairs that have uh, the Bible in it. Or we'll have it up here on the screen so you have multiple options as to how we can look. Because I think it's worth reviewing some things from this maybe one of the most crucial passages on worship, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and following. Um, When I was, years ago, in one of my Bibles that I've had around for a long time, I wrote in there, for worship, connect John 4, uh, Ephesians 5, Galatians 5, and and Colossians 3. And I was like, "That, that was right. I actually got that one right. That's so helpful. So Colossians 3, if we can go to that first slide, Miss Ann, that'd be super helpful. We're going to go through, I'm going to stop occasionally, but let's read this. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Now remember, the whole first half of the book is Paul unpacking an issue that is going on in the Colossian church. It seems to be some syncretism between their surrounding worship, the Jewish cultural worship, and Christian worship. And what they're clearly struggling with is going back and wanting to reinstate the laws of the Jewish uh, culture. And so Paul finally says, look, we've not been given freedom so that you have to worry about keeping all of the dates and all of the everything else. That's not what this is about. And so he starts to here get very practical Pretty typical Paul. He cuts his letters in half. The first half is a lot of theology, corrective usually, and then practical. Here's what you should do about it. So look at where he's going to go. There's two critical verbs here. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things. It's not like he forgot what he had just said. Those are two different aspects. This smacks to me very much of what Jesus said. Worship in spirit and in truth. Your heart is an expression. It's your identity. It's that motivator. It's the internal. It's, it is connected a lot to emotions. If you've seen the movie Inside Out, you might have a better understanding of kind of how some of this works. Because there is something that happens inside of you that isn't just as plastic as, you know, there's water, you know, like blood moving through your veins. But also set your minds on things above. So this is a double set, and it is both and equally important in the whole thing, which we learned that from Jesus, talking through. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. You'll see that Christ, how many times it shows up four times in there, in that verse, we'll hear it a bunch. The center of the whole attention is on Christ. It is. Let's go to the next set of verses. Put to death, then, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. This is all pejorative. This is all things that you need to get rid of. It involves 
Decision-making, put to death, connects to rid yourselves. It's two different Greek words, but the concept is exactly the same. You make a decision. I'm shocked in our culture how many times we say, whatever you're feeling, whatever is going on inside of you, you're just stuck with that. There's nothing you can do about it. In fact, that's the true you. You've got to live into that. There's no other options. Even though and sometimes we'll say, no, you can change that. If you, if you tend to not live a healthy enough lifestyle to have a, an appropriate body mass index for your height and, and so forth, we have all kinds of help to help you change that as a society, as a culture. We'll give you tools. We'll give you diets. We'll have people who will call you, motivate you, apps, everything else. Other things, oh, you're just stuck with that. It's so disrespectful. It's so dishonoring to say, sorry, nothing you can do. You're stuck with that. But he says, put to death these things, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. The wrath of God is coming because of these things. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you had before, but now you must rid yourselves. This is to set your mind somewhere else and your heart somewhere else of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Paul's not trying to go back and say, you know, you got to be a fuddy-duddy, and he's trying to reinstate a whole bunch of rules. He's just saying this is just simple, obvious, not good for you and not good for the people around you. This is simple. This is not difficult. Put those things out of your life. Will they ever go away completely? Boy, do we wish that would happen in this life. But more importantly, what is your mindset and your heart set towards them? Are you the kind of guy that says, you know, I just get angry at everything, and people around me are just going to have to deal with me? Not according to what Paul says. And this is the foundation for what good worship and effective worship. If you wonder why you don't have great experiences in worship possibly it's because you haven't gone through some of this process. Let's go to the next couple of verses. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its practices and have put on a new self. This idea was very common in the, in the ancient Near East where your decisions about yourself were like um, clothing. And so it was really used often of the Roman army when they would go and get their breastplate on, put the helmet on, get their coverings on the front of their feet and everything. Think Roman or uh, Galatians, Ephesians 6, right? The armor of God. When you would put that on, you're now in a mode to do something, to do battle. And then when you take it off, you're not in that mode anymore. It's not hypocritical. It's not manipulative. It is a decision, a set of decisions, a posture. You've taken that off. You put on the new, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. He brings the idea of creation in here. Here, there is neither Jew, Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. That's the same reference point. These are just social references, distinctions. Barbarian, Scythian, they tend to be, tended to be people that are kind of on the outside of the empire who were feared. Slave or free, at that point, as you know, slavery was not considered an inherent evil. Uh, 
But there was a distinction between those. But the bottom line is this. Christ, as we said in the last couple of verses, Christ is all and is in all. And that equals immediately when he says Christ is all, he's basically the same as these people, and he is in all. He just inserted Christ into all of those people above and equalizes the whole thing. Not to make it homogenous like some kind of a vanilla, oh, there's no differences between anybody. It is with those differences still in place, the value is raised up on all of them. This is the set your mind, set your hearts. Go to the next set of verses, Anne. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, whoa, what a turn from the angry guy, right? This is a big shift. Now you're described this way, clothe yourselves, put on these things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And another, in Galatians, he says, against which there is no law. Nobody would ever outlaw those things. These are the things that actually set things up well. Bear with each other, forgive one another, if any one of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's a double down on forgiveness as a big part of this thing. And sounds a lot like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. If you've heard Jim in the last several years, the idea of unity is a big deal in this church. It's tenuous. We come from all kinds of backgrounds, all different places. We easily could throw a monkey wrench in the thing that would upset the whole apple cart. Drill a hole in the boat, if you will. Unless we choose to put on love and compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and be in unity with each other. This doesn't mean we agree 100%. It's the exact opposite of that. It is we are very aware of points of our very common core of beliefs, and we raise each other in value and in love because of that, exactly like he talked about with the barbarian and the slave. It's the same process. Move to the next, Dan. This is the famous passage on worship. That was all the groundwork. That was all the heart set, as well as the mindset. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. These pink words in here have some significance because they're very unusual. Several of these, they're the only place they show up in the New Testament. Some others, they're two times, three times, maybe five times. It's always important to note that if Paul was that methodical in this section and the words that he chose, he's just not using standard procedure language. He's trying to put emphasis in here. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts is literally like this is the set of parameters and it it doesn't manipulate you, but you are always aware of that. That's in charge, the peace of Christ. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. That's the only time that the word, you know, the word Eucharist. That word means grace. It's got a lot of grace in it. It's also got peace in it. That's the only time it shows up as a noun. Be a Eucharist-type person. Be a thankful person. Let the message of Christ, so we have the peace of Christ, the message of Christ, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Now, dwell is a very unusual word. 
And it is basically like it's, this is what's creating the mechanism of life in you. Richly is an interesting description because it's like this has got so much sense of self-worth wrapped up in it. You teach and admonish. Do you ever think about the worship culture, especially the music and the things that we do, the creeds that we quote and so forth, do you ever think of that as a teaching culture? That's what it's intended to be. Is it's, a, it's a way to teach and admonish. Only time that word shows up, it's not a very good understanding of the word, but it is literally put life in each other's sails, hold each other accountable, be about with whatever is going on in other people. Don't do this all on your own. Do that for one another with all wisdom through all musical terms, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, songs from the Spirit, singing, only that only shows up four times in the New Testament, to God with gratitude in your heart, ties back to the thankfulness, even though it's a different word. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, a nice little Greek word play there that would sound almost more like word and work, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, in case you haven't heard the thankfulness yet, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that's what worship in the Spirit looks like. Of course, it can be incredibly emotional, but that's what it looks like. That's where it comes from. That's how it feels because it's got that purpose to it. And if you would put that picture up, please. I, a couple years ago, got to go to Florence, Italy. How many of you have been to the Uffizi in Florence? This is it's second century BC um, sculpture in marble. That little knot in the back is actually the beginning of a tail. They're pretty convinced this is a centaur, which is half man, half horse, and it's kind of writhing against its its uh, bindings. And that's an image in the classical Greek period of fighting against those natural tendencies that you don't want to be true about your character. It's interesting that that's the image here. But I remember seeing this statue, and just I stood there for 20 minutes. I was struck by the beauty. Look at those ribs. I mean, those ribs are... That looks like... You swear a couple places, you can see blood running in the veins in this crazy thing. We have no idea who made this. They dug it up. We don't even know the story of where it came from. Possibly Rome, possibly Athens, not sure. Now, I don't know what beauty in this way does to you, but what it's intended for us, whether solo or in corporate, it's intended to actually move us to, to go, who did that? What is going on? What did it take to do that? What is that all about? That's what beauty is, is designed to do for us. And worship in the Spirit gives us a chance to actually take beauty and not just have it, as Sam pointed out, spectacularly. This isn't just like a natural occurrence, like a reaction. Something drives me deeper here. And that's the, the passion for God that comes when we worship in spirit and in truth. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for Sam's words. Thank you for helping us, giving us vehicles, as Sam said in another time, a, a tool through music, through art, through so many different expressions, great literature that causes us to be moved. And uh, that gets us out of our, just kind of our slump, whatever that is. And it also is designed, as Sam pointed out, to speak into that deep longing that we have. Help us to invest the time, the energy that it takes to be worshipers with skill, with proficiency. Whatever our media is, whatever our platform is, May we be willing to pursue you in that way. We pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, if you would come, please. We, uh, as a response and part of our worship, we receive an offering that's still our mode here at DCC. has been all the years 